0: Welcome to the Amazing Personal Stories Podcast. This is the podcast that shares tales of triumph, success, and overcoming obstacles. If you want to be encouraged, enlightened, educated, or just get a case of the warm fuzzies, this podcast is for you. Once a month, our team will share a new story that highlights one person's journey through life and how they found happiness despite a few bumps in the road. Tune in each month as we share heartwarming tales of how people are winning at life. Let's get right into this month's amazing personal story. All right, this is a brand new podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I have two other podcasts that I currently do, but this podcast is kind of a special new creation for me, and it's called Amazing Personal Stories. And my very first guest that I'm going to be interviewing today is an old friend of mine. Her name is Lindsay. Lindsay, would you say hi to the listeners? Hello, listeners. Lindsay and I met... Gosh, how long ago was that? Like seven or eight years ago? I, yeah, Five years about ago? seven. Yeah. Um, Lindsay happened to have been the girlfriend of a friend of a guy I was dating. And she was just as sweet as can be. I remember when her and her hubby started dating. And there was some <laughs> quite a lot of talk going on in the circle of friends about Tommy's new girlfriend. Um. Do you remember all the scandal that was going on with that and the gossip?
1: No, just the girl from North Carolina coming out to San Diego.
0: So tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. How did you grow up? Where did you grow up? A little bit about yourself.
1: Okay. I was born in New York and then moved to North Carolina when I was eight years old. So I grew up in North Carolina with my parents and my sister and lived there, and went to college there, and thought that I was going to be there forever. And then I met my husband, now husband, at a wedding, and he lived in San Diego. And wait, 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 wait!
0: <laughs> you gotta stop and tell them a little bit more about how you met Tommy. So, were you single oh. at the time that you met him? Were you dating someone? What was the situation?
1: I actually had gone on two dates with the guy when I met him, and it was nothing serious, but I met Tommy at a wedding, and I just knew instantly there was something special about this guy, something different about him. We danced the night away. He wanted to take me to breakfast the next morning, so I gave him my phone number, but when I woke up, I just... Went home because I didn't think he would really call. Because what guy actually calls you the next morning after after a wedding, drunk, <laughs> hanging out, next, oh, all right? And a wedding. Um, but he did. He called me and was like, "Hey, I'm ready to go to breakfast. Where are you?" I was like, oh, "I already went home."
0: Uh oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> so was this a destination had-
1: wedding? No. It was, so not for me. It was in North Carolina. It was in Raleigh, but he lived in San Diego. So he came to the wedding for a Marine friend of his. And then the next day when he called, I wasn't expecting it. So I was like, oh, well, I'm already back at my house. And he told me that he was still going to come over and just wait. But he had, I think, a one o'clock flight that afternoon. So I wasn't really holding my breath. I didn't think he was going to come because it was you know, 10 o'clock turned to 11 o'clock and it turned to 12 o'clock. And by that point, I knew he should have already been at the airport. Okay. But then about twelve fifteen there was a knock on my apartment door <laughs> and it was him. And he had spent the morning changing his flight so Aww. he could spend the day with me.
0: That is so <laughs> sweet. And then how did you know that this was going to last and that you were going to, and how did you figure out where you guys were going to go. Obviously, he was military, correct? Yes. And he was stationed in San Diego. So how did you guys figure out what you were going to do?
1: It was just easy. It just worked. Uh, He really didn't have the opportunity to move, but we knew we wanted to be together. The relationship was so easy. We were both equally committed, and we were both really into each other. So I knew that I was going to be the one that was going to have to move. He went on a detachment about seven months into us dating. And when he got back, I moved out to San Diego.
0: And how did he propose? At our Halloween party. So I know this story, of course, because I was there (laughs) when he proposed. But for the listeners that don't know your story, why don't you tell the sweet story of how he proposed?
1: Oh, yes. So we are super big into Halloween. And we threw our first annual Halloween party. And it was Charlie and the Chocolate Factory themed. So he dressed as Willy Wonka and I dressed as an Oompa Loompa. And we were outside in our garage and I turned around and he took off his top hat and knelt down on one knee and asked me (laughs) to marry him.
0: That was so cute too. And I will post um, an image of that on the Instagram feed for this show. (laughs) Um, It was adorable, and Lindsay dressed up as an Oompa Loompa was the best thing ever.
1: (laughs) Yeah, orange face paint, green wig and all.
0: Yeah, it was pretty awesome. Um, And then about how long was it from when you guys met to when you actually got married? A year and a half. Okay. So then Tommy ended up, Tommy, uh, Lindsay's husband, ended up getting stationed somewhere else? Mm Mm-hmm. And where did you guys end up going after San Diego?
1: He got orders for Kings Bay, Georgia, which is right at the Florida-Georgia border. And so we ended up living in Jacksonville, Florida, which is about 30 minutes south of the border because there was more opportunities for me to work in Jacksonville than up in Georgia.
0: So tell the listeners what you do as far as work is concerned.
1: I am a pediatric occupational therapist, so I help kids with disabilities after injuries, after surgeries, after trauma, regain their independence and their typical development as much as possible. So
0: you're essentially teaching them how to walk again, how to talk again, how to do things after an accident?
1: Yeah, how to take care of themselves, what we call uh, your ADLs, so your activities of daily living, things like dressing, grooming, bathing, play, school, just everything you do throughout your day that makes you, you.
0: Is there an age group that you specialize in or what is your most popular group of young people that you work with?
1: At my hospital, I'm at an inpatient rehab hospital, so we have kids really from about six months to 18, so there's not really a specific age, but we do see a lot of pre like, prepubescent kids.
0: Interesting. How did you know that you wanted to do
1: that? Well, I knew I wanted to be an OT after seventh grade when my grandfather was sick and in the hospital, and I saw the OT working with him and all that she was doing, so I thought that was pretty cool. And then I've just always had a passion for kids, so I put the two together.
0: Awesome. And how long have you been doing that?
1: I graduated in 2010, so I think almost nine years now.
0: Wow. And you obviously find it very rewarding. Is there any one of your patients or a couple of your patients that stand out in your mind as particularly special to you?
1: Oh, definitely.
0: Can you share a little bit about maybe one or two of those? I find that this sure. is a profession, I think in general, that um, is very, very necessary in that there are uh, my kind of adoptive little brother when I was growing up fell out of a window Um, a two-second-story window of a house onto a cement balcony below. And he had someone like you that came and helped him as well because he had to learn how to walk again, how to talk again. Um, how to function again, because he, before the accident, had been very analytical, um, very English-oriented, well-spoken, very intelligent little boy, but he was about, I think, three or four when he had the accident. But after the accident, it changed the function of his brain so that he then became artistic and more scientific, and it just was very, very different to see the changes that he went through before and after his accident. So... um, what sorts of kids kind of stand out in your mind from that? Can you share one of those experiences?
1: Sure. The kids that stand out the most to me are the kids that come in with a disorder of consciousness. So what people typically know as like a vegetative state or what we now call the unresponsive wakefulness syndrome or minimally conscious, wow. they come to us. That low level, and initially we work on training the family to care for them. We do certain protocols to track their progress to see if they are gaining more awareness of themselves and their surroundings. So the ones that stand out to me are the ones that come in that low level but we are able to see them progress and help them become more independent. And I've had kids come in that low level and then walk out of the hospital.
0: Wow. That is pretty incredible. Um, as far as those accidents are concerned, once in that vegetative state. Is it all age groups or does it seem to be one particular age group that you see mostly in that sort of a situation?
1: All age groups from as young as, to we've had to as old as 80s and it just depends on the the mechanism of injury so a lot of our younger kids are from what we would call like a near drowning so they have loss of oxygen to their brain and then they're resuscitated but With the extent of the trauma to their brain, they're left in that minimally conscious or that unresponsive wakefulness state. Whereas some of our older kids or older adults, they're from things like car accidents, falls, and um, more traumatic injuries to the brain.
0: Wow. Um, Very, very interesting. Uh, So you work for a
1: hospital? Yes, I work at an inpatient rehab hospital.
0: Okay, okay. Was it difficult for you to get that job from transferring? You were were you working in that same sort of position when you were in San Diego?
1: I was in a outpatient neuro center in San Diego. So I went to inpatient.
0: And did you find it challenging to get that new job as soon as you moved to the East Coast?
1: No, not really, because I went from kids and outpatient to kids and inpatient. They just happened to have a job for me when that's I got there.
0: Awesome. Okay, so which do you prefer, East Coast, West Coast?
1: Oh, man, that's a tough one. I miss the weather and the Mexican food from the West Coast.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I do remember some pretty amazing meals and hanging out with Stephanie and her cooking us vegan stuff, All especially right. vegan cookies. Yes. Those were some incredible days that we had back then. Have you spoken to Stephanie at all lately?
1: No, not recently. She was in Florida not too long ago, and I texted her, and we were never able to to reconnect.
0: Aw, that's kind of a bummer. I know you guys had so much fun. Stephanie was another one of the young ladies that we um, associated with, hung out in a group with, one of the military ladies, the wife of one of the gentlemen that was friends with the guy I was dating. So it was kind of a group of us girls that would get together and have wine and food and Mm -hmm. get into all kinds of shenanigans, (laughs) go to St. Patrick's Day events, and (laughs) go all over San Diego causing trouble. So getting back into your own personal story, did you always know that you wanted to have kids?
1: As long as I can remember, I knew I wanted to have kids.
0: And you are one of just two. You have a a younger sister or an older sister?
1: A younger sister.
0: Okay, okay. But did you think you wanted a big family or that you just wanted maybe like one or two?
1: I was on the fence between two and three. And then Tommy only wanted two. He is one of six kids, though. So he came from a big family. Oh, wow. And (laughs) he said that he did not want to be outnumbered. <laughs> so we decided that we would like to have two
0: kids. That is hilarious. I never thought of it that way. I too come from a big family, and at some points with step siblings, there were nine of us kids with two parents. Oh my God. <laughs> so there are good things and bad things about a large family. The good part is there's always somebody there to play with, and there is an army of kids to do household chores. (laughs) so You don't need a housekeeper. You don't need a yard person. You just have some kids and they'll take care of everything once they get to a certain age. The bad part was the lack of space, the fact that we had to share everything, (laughs) the fact that money gets to be a little bit tighter when you've got a lot of kids. But I always thought I was adopted or stolen from another family. Like I didn't belong (laughs) in a big family. Like I should should have been an only child. (laughs) Um, so when did you and Tommy together decide that it was an appropriate time for you to start a family?
1: We had been married just over a year when we wanted to start. Okay. We, so a courthouse wedding, we got married at the courthouse 18 days after he proposed. Mm -hmm. And then we had a wedding party about, a year and some change after that. And so after our party, we started trying for kids.
0: Okay. And when did you realize that maybe something wasn't quite right?
1: I started thinking about it around six months of us trying because we weren't tracking cycles or doing anything to like actively try. We kind of just pulled the goalie and waited to see what happened. And we both, thought you know so many people get pregnant accidentally that surely will it'll happen for us too so around six months when we still weren't pregnant I was just suspicious that something wasn't right and then I started tracking my cycles more closely and paying attention to when I might be ovulating
0: okay so first of all how old are you if you don't mind telling the listeners I'm 33 okay and how long had you been on birth control oh 10 years Okay. So did you perhaps think or your doctor suggested any point that it was maybe just a matter of being off birth control for a while that when you've been on it for that long, that it sort of impacts your fertility rates?
1: Yeah, that's one thought that's out there.
0: And then what happened next? So you started tracking it, you still didn't um, get pregnant, then what happened?
1: Then after a year of trying, we met with my primary OB, GYN, and talked with her about some family planning, and she sent me for some ultrasounds and just some blood work to see if there was anything that she could pinpoint that looked abnormal right away um, for why we might not be getting pregnant.
0: So. The first line of questioning slash when they're trying to figure out what to do when you have a fertility issue like this, they go to the woman first, they don't do anything with the guy?
1: That's how mine worked because that was through my gynecologist. Now, when we, she referred us to a reproductive endocrinologist, he ran tests on both of us simultaneously.
0: Okay. So you first started out with your primary, um, OBGYN and she was able to kind of help you develop a plan to move forward and try to figure out what was going on. So they, they did a bunch of testing then I'm assuming after that.
1: Yes. So I, like I said, had some ultrasounds, so they looked for things like PCOS or endometriosis, which they were able to rule out. They did a, um, another test that looked at my fallopian tubes to see if they were open, which they were. So looking at my results, it looked like everything was normal. And while I was having that done, they were doing some semen analysis on Tommy and had him give some sperm samples to look at his sperm count, the morphology and the motility. So how they looked and how they were moving.
0: And how old is Tommy?
1: He's two years older than I am, so he's 35 right now. Okay,
0: so he's still relatively young as well, so there should not have been outwardly any issues with either one of you.
1: Right, and these tests were started five years ago, so at the time he was 30 and I was 28. Wow.
0: So everything came up normal? Not for him. Uh Uh-oh.
1: He had a low sperm count and some um, morphology issues, so some sperm that didn't quite look right and a lower sperm count.
0: Okay, so then if that sort of popped up on testing, then what does the game plan become at that point?
1: So after that, the doctor suggested in, um IUI, or um, intrauterine insemination. There it is. Okay. And we made a plan to try three to four cycles of that before doing IVF if that was needed.
0: Okay, so what does that involve? Is that just like a turkey baster? <laughs> Take the sperm, exactly. put it in a turkey baster, insert it that into fit. the vagina.
1: <laughs> yep. So he had to go and give his sample, and they put it in a syringe and put it in me. <laughs> wow. And how is that
0: supposed to do something different than just having sex?
1: So they time it they watch my cycle and time it with ultrasounds and they watch what's called my, your follicle. So each cycle you have a follicle that grows in an ovary that then when it becomes mature, it releases an egg. Okay. And then the sperm is supposed to fertilize the egg. So they watched my follicles. I was on some medications to help my follicles grow. So they watched those and when they were ready for, fertilization they timed it for then Tommy to come in give his sample so it's just more precise than doing it yourselves
0: yes so question did you have to do like injections I've heard stuff about fertility therapies that involve a lot of injections like in your stomach and things like did you have to do that or was it pills
1: For the IUI, we did pills, and then when that didn't work, we did switch to timed intercourse with injectables. So I did the injections for a few days, and again, I was tracked by ultrasounds, and when they said that it was ready, that it was mature, then they told Tommy and I to go home and have sex.
0: Okay, so... I've heard stories about people that have gone through situations like this where sex just either loses meaning or becomes tedious when you have to have it in such a timed manner. Did you find that that was the case for you? Did it become more of a chore?
1: It did, and Tommy really hated it because especially even at the end when we were just trying and be like, Oh, I think I'm ovulating. Let's have sex. And it kind of took the sexy out of it. So I just stopped telling him and I would just track it myself. And then I would kind of like come on to him and start (laughs) something. That way he didn't know, but it was still a little sexy for him.
0: (laughs) How funny. Um, Okay. So the, obviously the first, sorts of therapies that you were working with to fix this issue did not work so then what happened how long was that process from start to finish when you realized that the first sorts of therapies weren't working
1: so we did three IUIs that did not work and then after that we did the timed intercourse with injectables and that didn't work so with the Four of those. I think it had been like five months because we did them back to back except for one of the months.
0: Okay. And then what happened?
1: And then we decided to move forward with IVF.
0: Okay. So you go to see a specialist for that, correct?
1: It's the same uh, reproductive endocrinologist that we had been seeing at the same clinic.
0: So what does IVF involve for folks out there that aren't really aware of how the process works?
1: It involves a lot of shots, so you time it nightly with some belly shots to cause yourself to overproduce those follicles or those eggs, and you're monitored closely by ultrasounds every few days so they can watch your follicles grow, and then as you become more mature, you get another shot to prevent yourself from releasing those eggs early, and then when most of your follicles are mature they bring you in and put you under a light sedation to remove all the eggs from you and then they put it's like a petri dish they put the eggs and the sperm in a petri dish and watch them fertilize and they watch them closely under a microscope for a few days to watch them turn into a blastocyst where the cells are multiplying and growing normally and for us, we did frozen transfers. So once they had all the eggs and they had the mature ones that were blastocysts, they froze them.
0: So did you feel it when they took those out?
1: No, I didn't really feel it. Some people are pretty sore afterwards, but I was okay.
0: And the second question that I had was, how many eggs did they take? Do you know?
1: the first time I went through IVF, they got six eggs.
0: Okay. So then tell us about the process then. So what happened next?
1: So after they got the six eggs, they, like I said, put them in a Petri dish with the sperm and five of them fertilized. So I would get phone calls every few days about their progress. And on day five, Four of those had turned into embryos, so they froze the four embryos in preparation for transfer.
0: Okay. And did they put all four of them in?
1: No, they're moving more towards healthy singleton pregnancies versus just putting all your eggs in one basket. They're trying to avoid the octomoms.
0: Right. So they just put one in? Right. Okay. And then what happened?
1: So the first time they put the one in and I convinced myself I was pregnant. I knew it had worked and I waited and we did blood work and I was not pregnant.
0: Oh, man. So did your period stop and all the signs that would show you that you would be pregnant?
1: Yes, because they start you on hormones. So you go on estrogen and progesterone. And so it stops your period from coming and they watch your uterine lining to make sure that it's getting thick. And when it's getting nice and thick, they transfer the egg in and wait for it to hopefully implant. And then you go back 10 days later for some blood work and they look at your HCG levels. So at home pregnancy test looks at the quantity or the qualitative. So yes or no, is there HCG pregnant or positive? Let me start over. Is there HCG present? Okay. Where when you do the blood work, they look at the quantitative amount of HCG, so they're able to give you an exact number of HCG in your system.
0: Okay. So you went in and there wasn't a super high number?
1: Less than one. So, so, did, so
0: did, not present. Did you do a home pregnancy test and it showed positive?
1: No, I didn't do a home pregnancy test. I just convinced myself in my mind I was pregnant.
0: Wow the mind is very powerful, right? So that yes. had to have been absolutely crushing at that point.
1: It, it was heartbreaking, especially after they, it had already been two years because we tried for a year. We did our testing, we did our IUIs, we did the time intercourse, we started the IVF. So by the time we did our first transfer, we were already two years into the process.
0: Okay, so at that point, you realized you were not pregnant. What was your first thought? Let's do it again. Immediately? Yes. And how long do you have to wait before you can go on to another one?
1: We did it immediately. So once they told me I was not pregnant, I stopped the hormones, waited for my period to start, and we transferred that next cycle.
0: Okay, and just one egg again? Correct. So you have two eggs left. Correct. Ah, okay, okay. So then tell us what happened. You had that second egg inserted. Mm-hmm.
1: And we waited our 10 days and we got our results, and this time I was pregnant.
0: Woohoo!
1: Yes. So my HCG was low, I think it was around 49. And what they like to see for a healthy pregnancy is that your HCG is doubling every 48 hours. Okay. So I went back 48 hours later and my HCG, they called and said, it's not quite doing what we want it to do. So it wasn't quite doubling.
0: Uh Uh-oh. So then what happens?
1: So then I went back 48 hours later and they checked it again and same thing. It's not quite doubling. So they wanted me to come in for an early ultrasound because the HCG was increasing. It just wasn't doubling. And for some people that could still be a healthy pregnancy, but for others it could mean a miscarriage. Okay. So we went in and did an ultrasound and the doctor was silent for a very long time. So I just kind of knew something wasn't right. And he basically said that he couldn't find a baby or a heartbeat oh, or anything. That's awful. So I was devastated.
0: This was the second pass at IVF and mm-hmm. it ended up being a miscarriage. Mm-hmm. That's got to be even more heartbreaking than the other one not working.
1: Yeah, D- because... You wait so long for it to hear that you're finally pregnant, to see those two lines on the pregnancy test, and you want it more than anybody else, and you feel it in your heart, and they tell you you're pregnant, and then it gets taken away.
0: How long was that time period between when they told you you were pregnant and when they told you that it was gone? Three weeks. Three weeks. So you had three weeks where you were kind of on top of the world and then gone, Mm -hmm. just like that.
1: Yep. Was
0: there any indication for you when you passed the baby or was it just like a normal period and there's nothing? I
1: hadn't even gotten my period at that point. I didn't even know because again, I was on those hormones, which prevent period and prevent anything. And. So I wasn't bleeding or anything. My boobs were sore. I still had all the pregnancy symptoms and I just, they didn't see a heartbeat or anything. So I wasn't pregnant anymore.
0: God. So then you and Tommy, obviously at that point were like, okay, we need to reevaluate, right? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And then what happened next?
1: After that, we had to wait about three months before we were able to do anything moving forward because with the miscarriage, I ended up having a methotrexate shot, which kind of helps absolve any, like, foreign tissue or um, any pregnancy, and so for that to get out of my system, they suggest waiting three months before doing any kind of fertility treatment or trying to get pregnant or anything like that. Okay. So after that, we talked, we were like, look, we have two embryos left. We want to get pregnant. We want two kids. It hasn't worked so far. So our choices are like, we can do them one at a time and keep dragging it on. We could put both of them in and if it doesn't work reevaluate what we're gonna do and then we decided we were just gonna put them both in
0: oh my goodness do it throw it in
1: put all your right, you're like, like
0: let's put all the cards on the table
1: exactly all our eggs in one basket let's see what's gonna happen either we're gonna get pregnant and we're gonna have a baby or we don't know <laughs>
0: Okay, so you put both of the eggs in, then what happened?
1: Not pregnant. What? What? <laughs> oh yep. my Neither, god. Neither one's not pregnant.
0: Uh, that's got to be absolutely exasperating. So, okay, so maybe that's just a bad batch. So then what do you think? We've got to right. go back and get <laughs> another batch?
1: It. It took me a really long time to figure out what we were going to do. It's, I mean, IVF is not cheap. No. It's emotionally and physically draining and exhausting. And the roller coaster of emotions you go on from thinking you're pregnant to not being pregnant to the hormones you're on to not telling people and keeping it a secret to thinking about it all the time. It's, it's a lot to go through. And at that point, I wasn't really talking about it or telling people. So I was kind of going through it alone, except for a select few people that I had met online that were also going through it. Because to me, no one else understood what I was going through, except someone else who was going through it.
0: Exactly. At any point in this process, did you just think to yourself, okay, well, maybe we are not meant for this. Maybe we should just adopt.
1: Yeah, that's kind of where we were after we transferred all the embryos and they didn't work. We just kind of talked about, do we really want to be parents? Do we want to adopt? Do we want to try it again? Do we just want to call it quits?
0: And then when did you come to the decision that you were going to take some further action?
1: It took me a few months. I would say two to three months where... A friend of mine told me that Tommy said to them, "A uh, pretty soon after our last transfer didn't work, he said, Lindsay doesn't know it yet, but we're doing this again.
0: <laughs> so he made the decision for you, pretty much. <laughs>
1: right. And I came around, and I wanted it, and I think he just knew in my heart that I wanted it more than anything. I wanted to be a mom. I wanted to be a parent. I wanted us to have a child together. Right. And...
0: But it's got to be an emotional burden on the woman a little bit more, perhaps, than it is on the man. And sometimes it can probably be hard for them to understand because they're not carrying it in their act, their body like a woman is.
1: Oh, definitely. He, I mean, went into the room, gave his sample, and that was all his body had to go through. I had the shots. I had the hormones. I had the transfers they put the embryo inside of me. I, it's the one thing a woman's body is supposed to do. That's what our bodies are made for is to get pregnant, and carry these babies. So I felt like my body was failing me and wasn't doing the one thing it was designed to do. Right.
0: It's like get together, get it together. You tourists.
1: <laughs> I know and then every month you convince yourself you're pregnant and you're not again and again. And it's, a lot for a woman to go through. He, he didn't go through that. The second they told me I was pregnant, I was like, I, I feel it. I'm growing this baby. And you picture yourself getting your belly growing and you picture this baby you're going to have and you're going to hold and you become a mother instantly where it's not the same for men.
0: So you heard it through the grapevine that Tommy was talking about and then when did you guys get to the point where you're like, okay, we're gonna do this again?
1: Um in about August of twenty fifth no twenty sixteen, I decided that we were gonna try again.
0: So how long had but, that been let me interject for just one moment, how <laughs> long had that been from when the miscarriage happened?
1: The miscarriage was in January. So it took about eight months
0: for you to come to that, that realization that you wanted to pursue that again and to really be secure in the situation enough to say, Hey, we're going to try this again.
1: Right. And I decided I was going to do things differently this time. So I did a bunch of research. I read a bunch of blogs. I talked to my friends who were going through it and I decided to go on a fertility diet. Hmm.
0: And what is that about?
1: So it's about resetting your body, and it looked at all the different toxins and chemicals and things that we were putting into our body that could be a cause for infertility. Because to me, at this point, everything was working fine in my body, and Tommy just had a low sperm count, so why weren't we getting pregnant?
0: Right, so what, was- what kinds of things does this diet tell you to do?
1: So I cut out all grains, all sugar, all caffeine.
0: Wow. Was that hard?
1: It was extremely hard. There is hidden sugars and grains in everything.
0: And how long did it really take you to like get 100% on board with that diet?
1: The day I decided I was going to do it.
0: Okay. Wow. That's willpower for you.
1: This was my last chance. I knew we were going to do IVF one more time, and that was it. We were not going to be able to do it again.
0: Okay, so you went on the diet immediately. You, had, How many eggs did they take this time?
1: So I went on the diet immediately and did that for four months, and then this time with the IVF they got five eggs.
0: Wow. Okay, so... When they decided to implant those again, how many did they put in?
1: Uh, We did just one at a time again.
0: So you've got four more left in there.
1: Not quite. So this time we did genetic testing on our eggs. Oh. So four out of the five came back genetically normal, which I contribute to going on that crazy diet that I was on. The first time we didn't get them genetically tested, so I'll never know if they were genetically normal or what their makeup was or anything like that
0: oh my goodness I didn't even know that was a thing yeah so I suppose that helps out with you know letting you know whether it's a good idea to implant that or not if it's
1: right they, so you, so you they don't implant money. ones that aren't right that aren't genetically normal because they'll they can see all the chromosomes and make sure they all have equal pairs and that there's no missing links anywhere or no extra chromosomes anywhere.
0: Okay. So then they implant this one and then what happens?
1: So they implanted one and this time the first transfer, we got pregnant again.
0: Okay. So then tell me what's going through your mind at that point. You've got to be scared.
1: I am terrified, but excited all at the same time. This time, my HCG was 195 the first time. And to me, that was such a higher number that it that this was it. I did the diet, we did everything right. This time, it was it.
0: So how much do you think? Okay, so you talked about diet, you talked about the fertility drugs, how much of this do you think has to do as well with Frame of mind, positive thoughts, positive attitude.
1: You know, you have to be positive throughout it. You have to be cautiously optimistic because if you didn't think it was going to work, why would you do it? Right. But sometimes it gets really hard to stay positive when all you're seeing is negative results over and over.
0: Oh God, I without a doubt. So... They tell you you're pregnant. Your HCG levels are normal. When did you really (laughs) feel as though you were in the clear with this pregnancy?
1: We went back for our second HCG about 48 hours later, and my numbers were more than doubling. And so to me, I was like, this is it. I'm pregnant. I'm in the clear. This is going to be – this is it. It's my turn.
0: Okay. And then – so at that point, that how long had it been since the implant of the embryo?
1: About two weeks.
0: Wow. So within two weeks, you were like, I'm in the clear. I know this is it.
1: Yes. But then they also wanted to bring me in for that first ultrasound, which is where the first time we learned that we had lost the baby.
0: Right. But it was different this time.
1: I hoped it was going to be, yeah.
0: And tell us about that appointment going in there.
1: We went in and I was excited and terrified all at the same time, but I was hoping things were going to be different. And we had our ultrasound and there on the screen was my little baby and her little heartbeat.
0: Oh. <laughs> Spoiler alert! <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, nine months later, bing, 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 bing. Did you have any issues, though, during the pregnancy that were concerning?
1: Of course I did. It's me.
0: Like, what sort, What sorts uh, of things popped up?
1: I have a short cervix. So they monitored me really closely for a cervical incompetence to see if my cervix was going to... Um, open and that would put me at a really high risk for delivering early
0: okay so maybe a premature baby if that happens right
1: right unfortunately some people have a really premature pregnant or really premature delivery and they could deliver before viability even in those like teen weeks or 20s and their babies don't always survive. So that's why they monitored me super closely to prevent anything like that.
0: So did you have to take any special drugs then? With
1: Yeah, I, I went on progesterone to help thicken and bulk in my cervix.
0: Okay, and then the second part is, did, was your activity restricted at all with respect to that?
1: Yes. They didn't want me doing... My job, so I had to go on light duty at work, and they didn't want me doing any kind of exercising or walking long distances or standing on my feet for too long
0: because that could impact that cervical tissue, right?
1: The way they didn't want the weight of the baby to cause any incompetence.
0: Wow, but no bed rest though, nope, yay, okay, right. then
1: <laughs> any other. They found out- At 14 weeks is when um, they started monitoring my cervix, and at 24 weeks pregnant is when they put me on all those restrictions. So did you have any weird cravings? No, I was waiting for it. I really didn't. I would go through these phases where I wanted to eat everything and then where I didn't really care, but no weird cravings.
0: Did you have morning sickness? No. God, how lucky did you get?
1: I know. Besides my cervix being short, I had the easiest pregnancy. I felt great. I loved being pregnant. It was wonderful.
0: I guess that's kind of like the universe's way of like paying you back because you had such a shitty hard time getting to that point that it's like, okay, you've, you've, you've done enough. You've suffered enough. Yeah. Here you go. We're going we're gonna to let you have it easy from here on out.
1: Yeah, I hope so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you get closer and closer to that birth. Were you worried about the baby being normal?
1: No, because we had her genetically tested before implantation. And because I had been following her so closely for my cervix, I had ultrasounds every two weeks for the majority of my pregnancy. And I was able to watch her grow and develop. And she was right on track the whole time.
0: So it was just a matter of meeting your new baby girl. Yep. So tell us about the point where you were getting ready to go into labor, then what happened?
1: I was 39 weeks pregnant and went in for my appointment and we decided that we loved our due date. It was Friday the 13th in oh October.
0: And they are Halloween so, fans. <laughs> Just a reminder. i
1: right. so the beginning of the story. Halloween's our thing. So we talked to our doctor and we were like, look, if we don't deliver by our due date, we want to be induced. Let's have Friday the 13th as our due date. And she was on board and we went home that night. And Tommy kissed my belly and he said, Baby, I'm really tired. Please don't come tonight. And we went to bed. And about two hours later, I woke up (laughs) and I was in labor. (laughs) Wow. And I woke up and I was like, Honey, she's not waiting till Friday.
0: (laughs) Okay, so then you go to the hospital. How long did your labor take?
1: Um, My. I went into labor about 1:30 in the morning. We got to the hospital about 3:30 and at 9:30 I started pushing. Wow. And 3 hours later she still was not out Uh-oh. because she yeah. Oh yeah, this story gets better. She was sunny side up, so she was facing up and wouldn't engage under my pelvis. Uh-oh.
0: So, so uh, was there some concern, though, with respect to, uh, for people that don't know, Tommy is a big guy. He's like, how tall is he? Six one. Okay, and probably 200 pounds, right? And Lindsay yeah. is, how tall are you, Lindsay?
1: Five one.
0: So Lindsay's a tiny little thing. That was one thing that I was thinking could potentially be an issue is here is this tiny little girl trying to push out this big ass baby. Was that an issue?
1: No, she wasn't that big. She was 6'14 when she was born. So she was a tiny little thing and her head was in the second percentile.
0: So you got lucky there too. (laughs) You didn't get a real big one.
1: Except I couldn't. I couldn't deliver naturally. I ended up needing an unplanned C-section because I couldn't get her under my pelvis.
0: Wow, is that a common occurrence with respect to pregnancies and and giving birth?
1: It is common when they are facing up because she was trying to go out forehead first, which is not that mobile. Instead of crown first, uh huh, and so and
0: there's no way to flip the baby around.
1: We tried. I tried pushing on my back. I tried pushing on my left side. I tried pushing on my right side. I had three to four different hands up my hoo-ha trying to turn her around. And it just was not happening that day.
0: And at that point, I think you've got to be absolutely exhausted. Like your body's probably starting to just shut down, right?
1: Oh yeah. They asked, they The doctor told me I could continue to push for another 30 minutes if I wanted to. And I looked at Tommy and I just told him I did not have any energy left to do that.
0: Wow. So at that point, they're like, let's do the C-section.
1: Right. Mm -hmm.
0: And how long did that process take?
1: Well, the hospital I was at only had two operating rooms. And so I had to wait about three hours. Till an operating room was open for me to be able to um, go in for my Mm C-section. And so it wasn't an emergency. My heart rate was fine. I was stable. The baby's heart rate was fine. She was stable. So we just hung out for three hours until it was my turn to go in for the C-section. And then the C-section, the whole process took 10 minutes.
0: Were you awake during the whole thing?
1: Oh, funny you should ask. Most people are. When they started to cut me for the c-section i told the doctor that i could feel it Uh oh and they go oh, no no it's just pressure you can't feel it and i said no it felt like you just gave me a tattoo across my stomach i definitely felt it and then it was emergency mode oh my god we have like we have to put her under you got to get out everybody move go 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 and they're like count to 10 and they ended up having to put me out intubate me put me under and deliver the baby. Oh my God. How
0: scary is that? I'm sure yes. Tommy at that point was just like at his wits end trying to figure out what the heck is going on.
1: Yeah. Because he had just gotten in the room. Cause he gowned up for the C-section just gotten in and they were like, you need to leave. And he was like, what is going on?
0: Seriously. Um, and then the next question that I had was how long were you out for before you came back? before they brought you back?
1: I thought it was hours. Apparently it was only like 30
0: minutes. (laughs) So then you come to and you, did they bring the baby to you right away?
1: No, they brought me to her because they had taken her out of the operating room, took her to the nursery, got her cleaned up and brought her to Tommy. And then I guess the doctor was sewing me back up and making sure everything was normal with me me up, and then they brought me into my room, and I saw Tommy holding her when I rock- rolled in.
0: Aww. <laughs> That's got to be the sweetest sight you can ever see.
1: I was never more in love with him than I was at that moment.
0: Aww. <laughs> how adorbs.
1: There's a big, tall man holding this tiny little baby.
0: So how long did it take you to recover from the C-section?
1: I recover about six weeks.
0: And do you have like a gnarly scar now?
1: Yeah, because I had pushed for so long. I had gotten Brielle under my pelvis. They just couldn't get her head all the way out. Uh-huh. So this my C-section scar is a little bit bigger because in a planned C-section, the baby is still up high. And right. they just pulled the baby out where Brielle her head was under my pelvis. So they had to go in and then pull her back up.
0: Wow. Holy moly. Mm-hmm. But the next time that you guys do go in and have another baby, will you have to have a C-section or that will they try it natural again?
1: I'm going to try for a V-back and see what happens. I guess it'll depend on which way this baby's facing.
0: Right. Um, so just really quickly, some statistics about fertility. Cause I think People either don't think about this issue or they think that it's pretty rare. But according to statistics from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, 12.1% of women aged 15 to 44 have impaired fertility. And these numbers could be higher or lower. Obviously, it's not an exact science when it comes to figuring out because some women haven't been tested and others have. And some women don't answer questions about it and other women don't do, but married. the percentage of married women aged 15 to 44 that are infertile is 6.7%. The mm-hmm. number of women aged 15 to 44 who have, who have used for infertility services is 7.3 million. So there are 7.3 million women out there that have used infertility treatment or service. 12% of women aged 15 to 44 have used infertility services, whether that be IVF or whether that is hormone treatments, or some sort of services with respect to infertility. So that that's a pretty good portion of the population.
1: Yeah, they say what about one in eight couples.
0: Now, if you could give a couple of helpful suggestions to people out there that are just like you that are dealing with this, what would you suggest? What would you offer?
1: Well, the first thing is not to suffer alone. This is nothing to be embarrassed about it's nothing you did that you need to find a good support group whether it's other people going through infertility in the same place that you are or your mom or your sister or your best friends but you need to talk about it and get it out there because you need that support it is hard to suffer alone
0: And what would you say to couples that don't really know what's going on, but they're unable to get pregnant? What would you suggest for them?
1: Don't give up and get tested.
0: Right, right. Absolutely. We are going to post some pictures of baby Brielle, if that's okay with with Lindsay. um, Just so that people can see how beautiful she is. And what a beautiful little family they are as well. Um, Thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your story. I find it extremely amazing um, just from start to finish. Is there anything that you want to add before
1: we wrap it up? Um, I think we just need to get the word out there in general and we need to get more services and fight for ourselves because like I said, it's nothing that we did It's nothing to be embarrassed about. It's a disease of the reproductive system and it should be covered by insurances just like other diseases. And the only way that's going to happen is if more people fight for it.
0: Now, do you, you've spoken about this before, right? Or blogged about it or. I have a blog. Yeah. Why don't you share that information and we can put that in the show notes.
1: Sure. It's myunfinishedfairytale.blogspot.com.
0: And we will put that into the show notes as well so that other people who may be experiencing this can kind of hear your story and see that this is what happens if you don't give up. This is what happens when you push, push, push and continue to try to achieve your dreams, regardless of how hard it may seem and how many bad things may happen along the way. If you don't give up, then you will get your dreams eventually.
1: It was tough, but it was definitely worth it I can't imagine being a mommy to anybody else but my daughter
0: and she is an adorable little munchkin for sure
1: yes I agree
0: (laughs) thank you so much Lindsay okay that's gonna wrap up the episode please rate review and subscribe to our podcast and if you would like to interact with us you can contact us via email we will put the email for the show into the show notes You can also tweet or DM us on Twitter or Instagram at podcast.addict. We hope you enjoyed this week's journey. If you have someone in mind that you think would make a good featured guest for our show, please shoot us an email or DM us. We would love to talk to potential new guests for the show. We hope you enjoyed this week's journey. Be happy, folks, and tune in next time when we share more amazing personal stories.